welcome to a new episode of Field Days, a podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by my co-host Chris Gouts. It's spring break, Chris. How, how, are, you, are you enjoying yourself on vacation? Are you at the beach or where, where are you at? I wish I was on the beach. Um, this year is more of a staycation for the Gouts family, but it's an, we'll take a nice week off as we are taking a week off on the podcast this week. Good. So you know what, Chris? We had a lot of people who um, emailed us and chimed in and, and said, you know, this is my favorite episode, this is my favorite episode. So, I, I mean, you can do drum roll, but the favorite episode of everybody is, let's get to it right now. Well, Chris, I'm excited today to have on ARU Lieutenant Charles Levins. Charles started as a forensic security aide at Huron Valley in, for three months, by the way. He did that for three months and said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Department of Corrections, uh, where he was a corrections officer at the Standish Max facility. From there, he moved up the ranks in CFA to sergeant in ARUS, and then moved over to the ARU as an investigator in 2004. And then he started as, in his current position as the ARU Lieutenant in 2012, we welcome Charles Levins to Field Days. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, I know we appreciate you coming on today. I'm excited. I know we've talked about uh, the ARU in previous podcasts, and I'm excited to actually have the man on who runs the ARU. So, Charles, we've talked about ARU previously. So let's let's talk about let's talk about it from your voice. And can you so can you explain what the ARU does and kind of what your role is in the unit? Absolutely. We are kind of like the public safety division, I guess, of the Department of Corrections. Uh, anytime there's a pro absconder, a prison escape, and on occasion some probation absconders that are out there uh, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, not following the rules or conditions of their probation or parole um, or the sentencing county, uh, we get involved to try to locate them. We conduct an investigation, mm-hmm. kind of track them down, uh, bring them back into custody so they can uh, hopefully be uh, put back on probation or parole instead of incarcerated again, and we try to find out what their problem was, why they did abscond, and re- relay that information back to the agent sometimes so we can try to prevent these absconders from going out there multiple times. So what is your role as a lieutenant in the area, though? Absolutely. My job is to do payroll. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You approve time. Congratulations. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I supervise the Department of Corrections Absconder Unit now statewide. Uh, We currently have 26 investigators, one administrative assistant slash executive secretary, and myself, and we have one vacancy that we're currently filling. So altogether, when we're all plussed up, we have 29 people on the team, and I supervise 20 of those people statewide. Wow. That's a lot of people you got under your your, uh, control there. So... Speaking of that, it sounds like you guys are constantly chasing people. Is that an accurate statement? <laughs> That's a very accurate statement, 24-7 sometimes. Uh, uh, we pretty much follow all leads till they're exhausted on a case, and then we move on to the next one until we can develop more leads. So right now, how many people are you guys chasing? How many active absconders do we have right now? And how, how do you go about apprehending them? Absolutely. Um, I can tell you back in about 2009 when we created the absconder unit back in down in Wayne County, uh, and brought it back online with the Department of Corrections instead of having it contracted out. Um, it was about 2,486, just under 2,500 parole absconders statewide. Um, since 2009, we've implemented a lot of changes in our unit, uh, including hiring standards, weapon standards, uh, physical training, uh, and most importantly, training, good quality training. And with that, and with the blessing of the every director we've had now the last two uh, 
two administrations, um, we've allowed been allowed to do our job. They took the handcuffs off, said, listen, catch bad guys, get them off the streets. Uh, so on any given day, instead of chasing 2,500 people like we were seven years ago, we're down to about 1,150, and I know the deputy director, Marlon, has a goal of around 700. So that's our target population, our target number we're looking at right now. Those are uh, very good numbers, and obviously that speaks to public safety because we've just reduced the amount of people that are not being supervised on the run um, by almost 50 percent it sounds like so those are some pretty good stats and i know we've highlighted that on previous podcasts you know you're, you're down almost 45 percent um in active absconders so who better to talk about the great things going on in aru than the man himself the leader of uh, the aru uh, so can you talk about some of the successes you're seeing other than um, active absconders being going down absolutely actually with our team members and our team the way it operates now I believe that everyone comes in with a real positive attitude that they can actually make a difference every single day. And I tell guys when they get to the team, you're only as successful as you want to be, or much of, or maybe not successful. Maybe not. Maybe you're not going to live up to your what you think you are, your expectations. And that's all up to you. I'm going to give you every single tool that you need to be successful in this department. Um, so as far as success stories, we had some great success stories. Um, well, actually, over the past year, um, our team has kind of been down a little bit on manpower. We had two people retire, uh, great guys on the team, but they went their own ways with uh, new, new adventures in their future. Um, and that was at the beginning of the year. About a third of the way year, we had another team member, Doug Best, uh, notified us that he was he came out with cancer. He had leukemia, and he was a personal best friend. And I it was kind of felt helpless for the guy initially because I'm like, listen, this is my team guy. How do I make it better? How do I fix him? How do I help his family out? And Doug has struggled through all those, the, the treatments, the transplant and everything. Uh, and he's back on the road to recovery. We hope to have him back on the job the next month or two. And honestly, it, it speaks to him and the kind of guys we're hiring as an example too. Even though he's been sick and out of the game for the last year or so, um, when he's feeling better, we actually are able to put him on light duty. I've got administrative tasks I've got him doing, so he's part of the team. He's helping us out behind the scenes. Um, as far as other success stories, um, I've got a guy named Jeff Grimbowski. He was actually covering for Doug over the last, since Doug got sick over in the west side of the state. And while Doug got sick, uh, we had another investigator, hurt his foot, was off for several months having surgery. And Jeff just stepped right up to the plate and said, you know what, I got this. I'll handle all these counties on the west side of the state. I'll make sure your absconders are getting caught. I'll keep your numbers up. I'll handle all your expedited warrants. And not once has he ever called and complained and said, this is this is wrong. I need help. Not once. And so that's why I actually nominated him for the officer of the year. About the middle of the year, um, we had a couple of people get injured. So they were on late duty for several months, which meant their team members just stepped right up behind them and said, listen, we'll help them out in the field. They can cover the administrative stuff and put them on late duty. Every single one of these people, as soon as they were hurt, the very first thing they did after contacting HR was say, hey, listen, can I come back to work on late duty? I want to be on the job in any capacity that I can. Um, again, talking about our rough year, and back in September, we had one of our investigators. He had uh, he had uh, lost his mother to cancer, so we've had some serious sickness on our team, you know, family members. And within a week or two later, he, he lost his wife. He passed away, and I, I couldn't imagine what he went through. And again, I felt there, I, I kind of sat back as a supervisor, like, what can I do to help this guy? What what can I do to help him? Because I know he wants to be back to work. I know he wants to be doing the right thing and helping us out. Um, but he took some time off. And it was just amazing. I didn't have to call anybody in the metro region where he worked, and that's where our biggest case numbers are. 
the ARU members in that area just automatically stepped up and said, hey, I got Bud's case. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. Hey, another guy would say, hey, listen, uh, these guys are going to be off this week. Uh, any expedited warrants for Bud, let me know. I will handle them. And everybody just steps up and covers everybody's back. And it's just it's just amazing. I've worked in several facilities around the state. I get to travel all the time to different parole offices and parole probation offices. I've been to several facilities for training and things like that. And I have never seen a, a better core of employees like this that actually physically want to come to work every single day. And as far as success stories, too, on that, if you look at our team, almost every, uh, excuse me, about half of our team qualifies for the sick leave bonus through MCO every single year. They're not using their sick leave. They want to come to work. And that's just amazing. I hadn't seen that in either federal government through the military or state government here in corrections uh, since I worked for the government. It's just amazing to see these people want to come to work every day to make a difference and to work hard. They really want to make a difference. And the, honestly, the successes are really the employees. Uh, yeah, we catch bad guys. We have high-profile cases. We'll work 48, 72 hours in a row if we have to to get them. But really, the success on this team actually is the employees that, that actually work for us. They work hard. Well, that that's great. Um, you know, we get your monthly reports, and so we get to see some of these you know success stories that, that you talk about, and you highlight your staff, and it's really great to see. One that stuck out to me, and you might remember the details better than I, but there was a case, I think it was out of Florida, you had, somebody had said that there was, there was a homicide that, that had taken place, and that they all they had was a, a, a suspicion or a guess that he had a relative or a friend in the Lansing or, or in, in the southeast Michigan area, and you guys put an investigator out, you spotted him, and within three hours of getting the call, this guy was apprehended and on his way back down to Florida, you know, to face charges. I mean, within, you know, a matter of a couple hours, you guys have somebody, you know. In Absol absolutely. Amazing. Our guys are hungry, especially what's a high-profile case like that involving maybe a murder or a CSC or a weapons offense. Our guys take it very seriously. We know the department takes it very seriously, and those people need to come off the streets and, and go through their due process. And we, we're happy to oblige any agency out there that needs assistance doing that. Well, can you talk about that and, and, and how you guys collaborate with other local and state and even federal agencies and, and how that benefits the, the department? Absolutely. I think we've always collaborated to some point uh, since I've started with the unit in 2004. I worked up in Saginaw in the Flint area, and I was fortunate to replace a guy named Ken Hatfield, who was one of our investigators that retired this past year, and he had a system set up up there. I walked into a, a – it was just – it was a cookie cutter setup. I walked in and automatically I was starting to work with outside law enforcement agencies, especially the state police up there uh, with their fugitive team. We had some amazing guys. And honestly, they trained me how to catch bad guys. They really did. Our department did provide some training and some opportunities, but actually doing it on the street with true professionals uh, from the state police and one of the uh, deputy U.S. marshals up there, that's kind of where, where I learned how to do this. So right around, I think it was 2009 or 2010, we actually signed our first official agreement with an outside law enforcement agency to, be, to partner up with them and that was over in the western district of michigan with the u.s marshal service and everybody in our team kind of looked at us like wow that's kind of cool wonder if i'll ever get a chance to do that you know because we only had one guy at the time and that was a huge success story with dave sharp over there getting his foot in the door for the department of corrections um he showed up every day positive attitude highly motivated wanted to work hard and the marshals saw that so that eventually spread over to the eastern district uh in the detroit area uh more of the western district also we put a team together in lansing right around 2011 i believe it was and then from there it's, it's sprung up all over the place we had a team down in ann arbor we've got a team in flint and saginaw now we have also collaborated with an fbi task force over in, in the grand rapids area and uh we just started one last week actually i think in the macomb area the macomb oakland area yeah down there um so we've cre created another task force there mm -hmm. and this is this is amazing because 
we bring all this experience to the table. A lot of these task force have investigators from other, other agencies on there as well. But sometimes their position on that team is limited based on their agency, uh, especially like uh, as an example, the state police, a lot of their investigators, the troopers that come off the street to work on the fugitive teams are there for two or three years and they have to go back to the road or to another assignment it's just they rotate through. And one of the things the Department of Corrections is able to provide to these task force and these collaborations is that our investigators, if they're assigned to it, they can work their whole career if they choose to, and you know, with a mutual understanding with the marshal service. So we bring experience and we bring kind of a steadfast, some steadiness to each team out there. And even without the guys on task force, um, any any agent or investigator that I go to around the state, if I say who who do you work with, he's got a core group. He or she's got a core group of law enforcement agencies they work together with. They help. Um, with some of their law outside agencies with their cases as well when it ties into the Department of Corrections and the outside agencies tie or help us with our cases as well. So even though some guys are not all officially on a task force per se, they've created their own individual task force to go out there to work safer and to try to provide more safety to the community. Well, how far is ARU's reach? I mean, I know that you guys somewhat fairly routinely when you work with these other task force out of state or picking up guys in other, in other states, but... Uh, I think you've picked up some folks out of the country as well. Yeah, we have. Uh, depending on the warrants, uh, obviously with a pro-absconder warrant, we have nationwide extradition, and we've got a memorandum of understanding with the Marshal Service. Um, if we have information of where one of our pro-absconders is nationwide, um, we can give that information to any task force in the country or other law enforcement agency if, if, that, if that's the case too. And these guys will go out there, do the capture, bring them into custody, notify our department, and we'll extradite them back. And it's all no charge. As far as the apprehension, is really no charge to our department. It's just a mutual agreement that we have with them, and we just would pay the extradition cost. Um, when it comes to outside the country, it's a little more trickier. We have to look at treaties. We have to look at the State Department and go through them as well. Again, we use the Marshal Service and some of the federal agencies to try to get through some of the bureaucracy. Uh, but we have been successful in extraditing people from other countries. It just depends on the treaties that we have with those countries and what kind of working relationship our State Department has with those countries. With 14,000 employees, it's a pretty exciting unit, I think, to, to be in, and you probably have a lot of people that are wanting to join. So how does one go about uh, joining your unit if they're interested in chasing down fugitives? I mean, so basically what I'm asking is if Greg and I want to give up podcasting <laughs> duties, aside from, you know, adding 30 to 40 pounds of muscle, okay. what, what do we got to do to, to join your team? Absolutely. Well, let me set the tone here, you know, uh, for those that we don't have a camera on this podcast, I'm kind of new to technology, but let me describe what I'm looking at here. I've got Kamara back here. She's a producer, and I'm looking at Greg, I'm looking at Chris, two hipsters wearing skinny jeans right now they got great big manly beards looking like look like loggers but i'm looking at their hands and i don't see any calluses so they're true hipsters uh you guys could probably still make our team you know if you had the motivation and everything it, on light duty or full duty what are you talking about here well it depends what your doctor will allow you to do greg <laughs> um, but we'll we'll try to work around your accommodations if you have some uh, no that's a great question uh, for the longest time, the minimum standards to get on the, the absconder recovery unit were basically have two years as a corrections officer in the state of Michigan, uh, be able to carry a gun with no Lautenberg amendment uh, violations, and be able to drive a vehicle. And that was the minimum standard. Uh, the, the fall of 2014, when I became the lieutenant for the outstate and the metro territories, I had asked some, for some assistance from Lansing here to say, listen, I'd like to actually change the standard of what it, becomes, what it takes to become an ARU investigator. So working with uh, the fabulous folks over at MCO and our training unit down in Jackson and the Department of Civil Service and the Department of Corrections, we were able to change the standards, what it takes to become a correct, or excuse me, what it takes to become a, an absconder recovery unit investigator and what it takes to, main, to, main, to stay on the team, not just get on the team, but stay on the team. So as of December 14th of 2014, we now 
require that everyone that wants to be uh, to get an interview actually uh, go through a customized PT test that we have. It's not a military based. It's actually based on the needs of what you might see on the streets. Uh, once you're done with the PT test, we have a small obstacle course with realistic events in it. Again, it's not a cookie cutter thing or something we just stole from the military. It's something we took custom created. Um, we also have the weapon shoe. I firmly believe that if we have three available weapons in our unit, we should be able to all be qualified on them and be able to use them proficiently in case somebody goes down and you need extra ammo or need a weapon that you can fire that weapon. So I now require that you uh, be able to qualify initially on a, the basic standards of the Mini-14, the shotgun, and the pistol, just the basic standard qualifications for the Department of Corrections. And if you can meet all those criteria when we have it for tryouts, uh, we will then give you a formal interview with a sit-down board and go from there. Um, I can tell you we have a vacancy right now um, over in the metro region, and we had about 25 people apply for it. And after the trial day with the PT test, the shooting and all that, we're down to five. Uh, so it weeds out some people. Did Chris and I make that cut, by the way? Yes, sir. Of course you did. You did on paper. On paper. Yep. And I appreciate you sending me your test, your online test results, and you guys scored very well. Good. Good. So, yeah, you'll be you'll definitely candidates. We highly recommend it. Um, so, yeah, anyways, we get these five people now, high-quality people, and these are people that I've interviewed three or four times. I recognize their face every time they come to trials trying to be on this team. They're, they're very dedicated to what they do inside, and they want to spread their wings a little bit and see exactly how far they can excel on our team. And it's been a great testament. When we used to have a vacancy on the ARU, it was nothing to have 100 to 150 people trying to apply. And as a supervisor, trying to screen through all those resumes and all the, everything through civil service and to take a look at everything that was in front of me, it was kind of a daunting task to figure out, wow, what guy's actually going to make it? So instead of people talking about how good they are, we make them prove it first uh, with their PT and their physical standards and their weapons qual, and then they get the interview. And to tack on to that, with this new system we have set up, all of our new hires from since that date um, actually have to requal on every single one of those events every single year to keep their job. Now, the original ARU was grandfathered in through MCO, and I have no problem with that. Um, but, yeah, they have to not just meet them one time and then you're done, uh, like the Corrections Academy. You have to maintain those standards if you want to be on this team. So I think it's getting a, a much better quality em employee. There's somebody that wants to be there and highly motivated, not just personally but professionally as well. Well, and, you know, we, Chris, we've, we've seen pictures of these guys in, in while they're training and we'll put a couple of those up on twitter when uh when this episode for, for this episode and you'll see just how really scary looking and, and uh like you don't want these guys coming after you kind of thing so uh check out twitter you can see some cool pictures of the aru but i do have one last question for you you did say that you you when you started you took over for um Ken Hatfield in the in Saginaw Flint area. Yes. I, I'm familiar with Ken Hatfield, very familiar with, with uh, what well, you call him Ken Hatfield. I call him Crash. Crash. Right. Uh, working in the Lansing Parole Office for years. You know, I've been around ARU for a lot of years, and you, you, guys, are, you guys are a lot of fun. You guys do a, an awesome job at what you do. But I do have to ask you about the nicknames, like Crash, and, you know, there's a, a, there's a million. Everybody has a nickname. Everybody what, gets a nickname. What's up with that? Is, is it classified, or can you share the story well, behind that? Are you looking for him specifically? Or no, all no, no, all of them. What, yeah. what's up with, they all have nicknames. Yeah, so. everybody gets a nickname, and you, here's one of the rules on our team is you can't name yourself or get a cool street name to get that street cred. It's something you usually have to do. It doesn't necessarily every time you screw up or set a pattern, but usually it tends to go that way. Um, I can tell you we have a guy on our team, a newer guy who does a great job for us, uh, his name is Turtle, and that was just because his first vehicle that we gave him was a green van, and it was the slowest vehicle in the fleet, and he couldn't keep up when we were going from house to house. So somebody, not my, my not myself, but somebody on his little task force, the group he was working with, said, hey, you know what, come on, let's go, Turtle, and it just stuck. Uh, we have another new guy that joined our team, and 
he's a kind of a tall, lanky kid, highly motivated. Uh, just he inspires me every time I see him. He's always smiling. He's just one of those positive guys. And so right off, right off the bat, we were in training down in Battle Creek doing some man tracking training, and it was one of his first days working with us. And you know what? You look like a tall, lanky kid from that movie Toy Story. We're going to call you Woody. So he got the name Woody. I mean, it's just, it, who knows? I mean, Crash. Yeah, how did Crash get that? Yeah. You know, the, the rumor has, and I wasn't there because he was way in the unit way longer than I was. Sure. He had evidently a couple of vehicle accidents possibly, but, you know, I can't confirm that. You know, I'd have to go back and look at critical incidents and stuff. That <laughs> I think uh, they're past the retention date, so I can't find those now. But everybody gets a nickname of some sort um again they don't get to choose it the team gives it to them and they're they're kind of stuck with it well i appreciate you giving us a little insight on your guys the the fun part of your jobs the it's it's a huge camaraderie you can see it when you guys are together you know i i i had the opportunity and, and was honored to join your christmas party this year and you can just you can just see how much of a team you have and i think that's because well i know it's because of you and what you do in your leadership and the way that you use competition to motivate people and it, I think it really shows your leadership and, you know, just, just the, the leaps and bounds of how the ARU has become what it's become today. And so thank you for that. Thank you for your leadership. And thank you for coming on Field Days today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And I hope, uh, hopefully next week I'll have the results of your interviews to see if you made the team <laughs> or not. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.